Hello, my name is Spencer Wright, and this is episode 27 of the Waltz Oasis podcast. On this show, I discuss animals and the people who helped create them from the world of Disney. Topics come from the world of animated and live-action film, shorts, parks, documentaries, and more. Please follow the podcast on Instagram, on my personal page at SpencerWright1989, and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I'll post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. And this week, I'm discussing two cats from the 1970s. In the first segment, I will discuss Thomas O'Malley from the 1970 full-length animated film, The Aristocats. Thomas O'Malley is a tough but friendly alley cat, voiced by Phil Harris, who is also referred to as O'Malley or O'Malley Cat. You may recall I briefly discussed The Aristocats in episode 4 during my segment on Ava Gabor. And I also discussed Phil Harris, who voices O'Malley, during episode 16, where I featured Baloo from The Jungle Book. The Aristocats is a full-length animated film, which released in December of 1970. Directed by Wooly Reitherman, it is 78 minutes in length and on Disney+. It features Duchess, a pedigreed cat voiced by Gabor, and her three kittens, who are kidnapped by a greedy butler and left in the country. The cats are set to inherit Madame Volfamie's vast fortune, after which Edgar the butler will benefit. Therefore, he removes the cats to the country, hoping to get his fortune sooner. Thomas O'Malley comes across the family while in the country and helps get them back to their home in Paris. They encounter several challenges and interesting characters on the way, including O'Malley's friend Scat Cat and his friends. O'Malley, Scat Cat, and the other cats all help Duchess and the kittens return to Monobonfamie while defeating Edgar the butler, and O'Malley is welcomed into the family. The Aristocats was the first full-length animated film released after the passing of Walt Disney, who passed away in December of 1966. It took four years to make and was budgeted at over $4 million, with about 250 people employed in order to complete the film. 325 drawings were made by 35 animators. The story was originally intended to be a two-part live-action television production for Walt Disney's wonderful world of color, with a plot focused on humans. But in 1963, it was decided the story would be better told from a cat's perspective, and animation would be the better medium. Walt Disney did oversee some of the film's productions, attending story meetings in midsummer 1966. And rather than working on some animation as the story was developed, it was decided to plot out the action in detail and storyboard the whole film, and then begin animation. As was typical, Walt was active in physically acting out scenes during story meetings and being very actively engaged and checking on the progress of various sequences as the feature began to come together. The film is based on a story by Tom McGowan and Tom Rowe. Reitherman, the director, who was with the studio since the 1930s, stated, We were all so well trained in Walt's way of thinking that even if we didn't match his personal inspiration, we would still produce something Walt would have been proud of. 
And while Walt, Walt was involved in the film's production, he had been less involved with animated films overall. In particular, this was true as his focus began to shift to Disneyland in the early 1950s, as well as into live-action film and futuristic technological advancements. Reitherman stated, Starting with Sleeping Beauty in 1959 through Jungle Book, which was the last cartoon to which Walt actively contributed, each new animation project was completed more and more without him. Reitherman also said, he would check to determine if the sequences were well-balanced and if the personalities were coming off in a pleasant way. He came up with some damn good ideas in that important field. After all, the whole meat of the cartoon feature is personality and character. And after Walt passed away on December 15, 1966, archivist Dave Smith created an inventory of all of the objects found in Walt's office. In a cabinet in the northwestern corner of his former office, there was a screenplay and story treatment for the Aristocats, as well as other projects in development, including what became Pete's Dragon and The Happiest Millionaire. And O'Malley is a dark orange cat with a white chest, mouth, and paws. He has a very strong and powerful build. Milt Call and Ollie Johnston were his primary animators. In this character's earlier development, the cat was striped, but later drawn without stripes. This was a measure which saved time and thus cost in the animation process. One can see quite a strong resemblance between Shere Khan and Bagheera from 1967's The Jungle Book, and these characters were also animated by Milt Call. And Phil Harris was brought back to voice Thomas O'Malley, and this was his second role with Disney. And O'Malley is a very fast-talking, powerful feline. He's carefree and enjoys few responsibilities, very, very similar to Baloo. Reitherman stated to the press that, quote, O'Malley is a bit like Baloo, a diamond in the rough, but he is considerably brighter, more like Tramp in Lady and the Tramp. He comes to the rescue of a regal cat and her kittens, unquote. And being easily attracted to ladies, but friendly and kind, Thomas O'Malley is once again a close reflection of Harris's radio persona. And very similar to The Jungle Book, released only a few years earlier, there was a very close association between voices and animated characters. Reitherman said, With Phil Harris doing the voice of O'Malley, a carefree alley cat, he has a bubble of life. We haven't coached him, just let it happen and Ava Gabor as the Duchess, a regal cat who inherits a fortune, is just about the freshest femme voice we've ever had. Harris himself enjoyed this role, he stated. I was terribly enthused about doing Aristocats because I had had the pleasure of working at Disney before. Playing Baloo kind of made me a big man with the kids. When I walk down the street, they come after me and hollow, bl holler, Baloo, I'm so elated. He further said, I'm just playing myself again. They even let me change some of the lines to make them fit my personality. And so Harris felt that he had sort of an easy job, especially for his second role with Disney, really just speaking into the microphone. Um, and this is something that he had done before, voicing Baloo. And then the producer, director, and animators were the ones really responsible for putting everything together. And Harris really enjoyed this work, stating... They can use my voice, phrasing, and inflection, but the producers keep it clean. 
Harris sings two songs in the movie, Thomas O'Malley Cat and Everybody Wants to Be a Cat. Thomas O'Malley Cat was written by Terry Gilkison. O'Malley sings the song as he struts carefree through the French countryside. The lyrics introduce this character as someone who is strong and confident, yet proud of his untroubled lifestyle. Everybody Wants to Be a Cat is another song which is probably quite a bit more well-known. This song occurs as O'Malley, Duchess, and her kittens are traveling through Paris and they stop to see groovy friends of O'Malley's. Jazz music can be heard as the group approaches and we're introduced to Scat Cat and his alley cats. And Scat Cat is a leader of this group who leads the group on his trumpet. And in the song, really a whole musical number that unfolds, Phil Harris contributes vocally, and we hear other people like Thorl Ravenscroft voicing Billy Boss, who plays the bass, the bass, and Paul Winchell, who portrays a Siamese cat playing the piano. Scat Cat begins the song, explaining the Duchess and the Kittens the virtues of being a cat. Floyd Huddleston and Al Rinker wrote the song, which is also reprised at the end of the film. And one can see very strong similarities in the animation styles of The Jungle Book and The Aristocats, both under the direction of Wooly Reitherman. And then both he and Harris would later continue their contributions to the world of Disney with 1973's Robin Hood. The Aristocats released to the general public on December 24, 1970, to many positive reviews, and it was successful at the box office. Many critics found the film charming and fun. However, many others criticized the story as unmemorable, episodic, and anachronistic. And while The Aristocats is a favorite of myself and many, it is quite anachronistic, and there are a lot of characterizations that don't necessarily make a lot of sense. The movie does take place in Paris, but the setting seems somewhat incidental. You have O'Malley, who's clearly American, Gabor from Hungary, and other characters who don't seem to be of French origin. There's also a mixing of musical styles, which don't add up either, considering the movie takes place in 1910. The fact that Walt really wasn't there for the vast majority of the film's production really does cast a shadow over the film, both at the time of its release and in the decades since. Different writers, animation historians, and others, or even just casual fans, have used the Aristocats as an example of how crucial Walt was to crafting strong stories. There's a pervasive view that if Walt was there, the plot probably would not have been so episodic and the emotional impact of the film much higher. And what Walt Disney would do or think is a frequent question which arose immediately after his passing, and you still hear this today. Um, I hear, you know, what would Walt think in reference to Walt Disney World, or when there's a new attraction built, or when the price of something increases. But it's important to remember there is no way of knowing what anyone would do or think, especially Walt Disney. He had relatively minimal involvement in the 101 Dalmatians and the Sword in the Stone prior to taking charge in the Jungle Book. Um, so you can see other films where he had varying degrees of involvement. And while I do admit the Aristocats does not entirely make sense in terms of characterization and music choices, it is a beautifully animated film and has many engaging characters. It is reasonable to think that Walt's guidance probably would have tightened up the story, but again, we don't know what he would have done at this time. Into the late 60s, he was much more involved in live-action films, which were beginning to be seen as corny and outdated. 
and he was also focused on developing his city in the future in a swamp in central Florida. Now, Harris's role voicing O'Malley did receive a great deal of positive attention, but also some criticism, and this continues today, for basically being blue in cat form. And one can see a very, very uh, easy comparison between O'Malley and him just being a recycled Baloo. But Baloo is a fantastic character consistent with the world of Disney. O'Malley and Baloo are both fun and carefree, but will protect their friends and react with strength and ferocity as needed. Writing for the Tennessean, Harry Hahn stated, Phil Harris's raffish charm and Ava Gabor's continental sophistication, two opposites attracting if there ever were any, are perfectly suited for the characters of O'Malley and Duchess. And again, these two opposites attracting and how well their characters matched their voice was heavily complimented. And Phil Harris's casting in a Disney film was seen as quite humorous, considering his decades of voicing versions of a character with very flexible morals on radio. Columnist Vernon Scott wrote, The Disney Studios is a pristine bastion of probity dedicated to G-rated movies, the flag, motherhood, and God. Since Mickey Mouse first squeaked his way to fame some 50 years ago, the Disney reputation has been unsullied by scandal and unseemly skylarking, much less public displays of drunkenness or lechery. Yet this studio, you know, they housed a beacon of, they, excuse me, the studio for Mickey Mouse and Squeak Clean Reputation shines in Hollywood like a beacon of virtue, an island of moral rectitude in a sea of depravity. And yet they nurture a reputate of heroic proportions, a figure who looms large in the show business, who's who of toppers, swingers, and rascals. But again, he received positive notices for his work um, and was happy when he was cast again in Robin Hood. So The Aristocats is on Disney+, Plus, and I highly re- recommend watching the film if you haven't seen it before or haven't watched it for a long time. And in the second segment, I will discuss the 1978 live-action film The Cat from Outer Space. The Cat from Outer Space, released in 1978, and stars Ken Barry as Frank, an offbeat physicist, and Sandy Duncan as Dr. Liz Bartlett, who are enlisted to investigate an extraterrestrial spacecraft which has landed on Earth. They find out that a supposed terrifying alien who appears to have abandoned their craft is a cat, Zunar J5-90 Doric 47, who they dub Jake. Ken and Liz enlist the help of their gambling neighbor Link, played by McLean Stevenson, and earning $120,000 in order to get the gold needed to fix Jake's spaceship. Roddy McDowell plays Stallwood, who is working for a mysterious Mr. Olympus, who has an interest in the spacecraft as well. The plot is complicated by Jake falling for Liz's cat, Lucy Bell. This was Ted Key's third and final story idea for Disney after The Million Dollar Duck and Gus, and the screenplay was credited to Ted Key. The Cat from Outer Space was directed by Norman Tokar and produced by Ron Miller and Norman Tokar. This was Norman Tokar's final Disney direction prior to his 1979 passing. And Ronnie Shell voiced Jake. The Cat from Outer Space was shot on the studio lot in Burbank, California, on a soundstage in the Roy O. Disney building. In one scene in the film, the military confiscates the craft 
and a hangar was used for some filming at the Burbank Airport. Buildings for an army base were constructed at the studio's 708-acre Golden Ake Ranch. And the, cat, the cats who play Jake in the movie are of the Abyssinian breed of cat, and the Abyssinian breed was selected as they are seen as more exotic and more likely to be a cat from outer space. It is a fairly rare breed, which is distinct from breeds common as house cats in the United States. For example, it's quite different from the typical striped tabby. Abyssinians are longer and leaner than most house cats, with larger ears and a coat of orangish-brown fur. Jake was played in the movie by two cats, Rumpel and Amber, two Abyssinian cats 15 months old and from the same litter. Animal trainers Rudy Cowell and Don Spinney supervised them, as well as Lucy Bell, a three-year-old white Persian cat. One of the cats trained and possibly used for some shots was named Pavlo. Pavlo was selected after an audition. Remember, everyone auditions at Disney. Pavlo's owner, Carrie Schmidt, received a call from Disney agent Roger Shook, saying that he and animal trainer Rudy Cowell were interested in her cat. In part, Pavlo was selected as she was about eight months old and a preferred age to train. The studio took temporary custody of the cat, agreeing to sell Pavlo back to Carrie for $1 when filming completed. Pavlo had an especially cute face conducive to close-ups. And filming was an overall happy and efficient experience, typical of Disney films. But the cast, along with Sandy Duncan, did have some difficulties with Lucy Bell. Remember, uh, Sandy Duncan's character owns this white Persian cat named Lucy Bell. And Lucy Bell was noted as being arrogant and showing a disdain for humans, often kicking, scratching, and biting her human co-stars. Duncan had several deep scratches from Lucy Bell on her left forearm, and regarding one incident, she said, The day this happened, they had to give me a tetanus shot and some other medicine. The arm was so swollen, I couldn't work. Sandy Duncan also indicated she was allergic to cats and stated, And I must say cats don't seem to like me for some reason. I can go into someone's house without knowing they own a cat, and in a few minutes I break out in hives. My eyes get itchy, and my throat closes, and I get a runny nose. She noted that about eight cats total played the same part, and being difficult to train, each one had one or two things they could do. She noted Lucy Bell as having a cranky disposition. During a take with the cat, her hair would often frizz out, and then the cat would unsheath her claws and begin hissing, and then a trainer would immediately have to remove Lucy Bell. Duncan noted in a 1977 interview that she was discreet about her dislike of cats, not wanting to get a backlash from cat lovers. She said, I love all animals, but maybe I just don't have a natural affinity for cats. I belong to a group for the protection of pets, and I believe in animal rights. And at the time, she owned two dogs and lived in a canyon brimming with wildlife, appreciating animals. And I am one of these cat fanatics that she refers to. I own four, but I will say that Lucy Bell does seem especially sassy. And Tokar was well-seasoned in directing animals, including raccoons, tigers, dachshunds, and more. But these cats were an especially independent bunch. Dummy cats were manufactured as stand-ins and for long-distance shots. During a sequence toward the end of the film, involving a helicopter and an airplane, this is especially obvious when we see a totally static Jake in the plane in flight. 
Duncan laughingly stated, the problem is that these stuffed cats really don't look like cats at all. This infuriates Norman, who sometimes swings them by their tails and throws them against the wall, breaking them into pieces. Interviewed in the studio commissary, Duncan said, I don't like the cat because she has the best part in the movie. I'm lucky if they get a medium shot of me. But Lucy Bell gets all the close-ups, and she has the best lines, too. And animal-stealing scenes were common for Disney live-action films of this era. And her allergies to cats was a frequent issue. She would frequently break out in hives to the point where they may have to use a stand-in, and the drugs to treat this induce sleep, making it difficult to work. But despite all these difficulties, Duncan said, it's a cute film. The special effects are so important. It's marvelous to take kids to see it. The cast included several other well-known actors with previous Disney credits. Harry Morgan, a comedic actor, plays General Stilton. Morgan appeared regularly in Disney films, including The Apple Apple Dumpling Gang, Charlie and the Angel, Snowball Express, and Scandalous John. Roddy McDowell previously appeared in Bedknobs and Broomsticks and The Adventures of Bullwhip Griffin. And Hans Conry plays a small supporting role as Dr. Heffel. And at this point, he was a seasoned character actor, and he's probably most known today for voicing Captain Hook in 1953's Peter Pan. The Cat from Outer Space released on June 30th, 1978, and is 103 minutes in length. Reviews were positive, with critics seeing the feature as family fun and appreciating the unusual uh, premise. A Long Island, New York newspaper wrote, The film falls somewhere between predictable and imaginative. And the Los Angeles Times described it as a successful G-rated family film. It was nominated for a Saturn Award for Best Science Fiction Film, losing to Superman. The Cat from Outer Space is on Disney Plus and is a fun, typical 1970s Disney live-action film. Sources for this episode include andreasdeja.blogspot.com, 50 Years Later, Everybody Still Wants to Be a Cat by Kelsey Williams for d23.com, The Illusion of Life, Disney Animation by Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston, Frozen in Ice, The Story of Walt Disney Productions, 1966-1985 by Mark Arnold, The Cat from Outer Space by Frank Miller for Turner Classic Movies, and additional books, articles, and websites. I hope you enjoyed this episode of Walt's Oasis. I'll be back next week with a brand new episode. Again, please follow the podcast on Instagram, on my personal page at SpencerWright1989, and the show page at Walt Oasis, where I'll post pictures of subjects discussed. And feel free to email me at waltoasis at gmail.com with any feedback, questions, or episode suggestions. Episode suggestions are always welcome. Thank you for listening.